Thank you, Father. So, Father told me that I needed to be funny before my talk. (laughs) And so my first thought was, like, that seems to happen naturally for me. But so I'm going through all of these past stories, these things that happened to me. I work with young people, so funny things seem to happen naturally. It seems to go with the territory. But one story stood out in particular. It brings me back to May when I went to Poland. So let me preface this story by telling you, or reminding you rather, that two years ago in Brazil, Pope Francis was there for World Youth Day. Okay, that's an important piece of information you have to file away for this funny story. So this funny story I'm going to tell you is the one that first came up after Father told me I had to be funny. So in May, I went to Poland. I'm boarding my international flight, and the security officer pulls me aside. Let me see your passport, ma'am. So I pull my passport out of my pocket, and I hand it to her. She's flipping through it. She goes, who are you with? I said, 206, which is a tour company. I just refer to it as 206. I guess the full name is 206 Tours. I just say 206. And so I answered her. I say 206. And she goes, there's 206 people in your group. (laughs) And so I got my backpack on, right? And I'm standing there and I'm like really wanting to just go. And she's like, there's 206 people in your group. I said, no, 206 is the company that's leading this group, I said, I'm with 30 people. And so she just kind of like gives me the eye and keeps kind of flipping through my passport. So she looks up and she says, well, where are you headed? So I'm standing there with my backpack on. I said, Poland. And so she just looks at me and she goes, oh, you're going to see the Pope. (laughs) And so, (laughs) true story. So I'm standing there really wanting to go. I said, no, the Pope's in Rome. I'm going to Poland. And so she's not amused at all. She keeps flipping through my passport. And she gets to the part that has my Brazilian visa. So she looks up at me very suspiciously and says, why do you have a Brazilian visa? And so I'm sitting there or standing there with my backpack on. And I said, to see the Pope. that really did happen (laughs) so I'm standing there and I'm like can I just go now so that was a, a story that I've never forgotten in fact coming back from Poland I was stopped again boarding my international flight When I travel internationally, I always bring an empty backpack back home. So I leave all of my clothes over in that foreign country that I go visit, and I usually just bring an empty backpack home. So coming home, the security officer pulls me aside again. Ma'am, let me see your passport. So I'm thinking, like, this is going to be really fun. So I pull it out, and I give it to her. She's like, you need to take out all of the electronics out of your pockets, please, and turn them on. And so I'm standing there with my back, I I don't have any. So a young person living in this world without any technology on them is like shocking. And so I think she thought I was lying. She goes, you're going to have to open up your backpack. I'm going to have to take a look at those things. (laughs) So I'm standing here and I'm like, this is going to be good. So I take my backpack off. I open it up. She's searching madly for all this technology that's not there. 
she throws out a t-shirt and a pair of socks and reached the bottom of my backpack. And then I just said, can I go now? <laughs> and I see in the distance, one of the people from our group is riding up the escalator. <laughs> As I'm standing there, you know, being detained, I look to my right and Padre is actually over here dying of laughter. <laughs> As my friend is like, it's nice knowing you, I'll see you later. So that story when father said you need to be funny came right to my mind. The other day somebody told me that I was a comic. You know who else was a comic? St. Faustina. Which actually leads me to my very talk. She had a profound impact on my life, on my story. She was very real. She is very real. In fact, before I even begin it, I had a priest in the Lincoln Diocese tell me I would never be able to give a talk behind a podium because I get too wound up. So we're going to get this on video and send it to him. <laughs> Cheers, Father. So I want you to picture a hot summer night in central Kansas. It was late the night of June 20th when Christ willed me into existence. I don't think it was a coincidence that I was born on one of the hottest nights of the year. That blazing heat would become the refining fire that would eventually bring to fruition a burning love, but not without the cross. My younger years were filled with a good amount of medical problems. For the first six months of my life, I fought for my life. Born with an underdeveloped esophagus, I struggled to keep anything down. A few years later, I would be diagnosed with epilepsy. I carried this cross for a short while as a young child, only to outgrow it a few years later. In high school, I had surgery to remove a tumor that the doctors had hoped wasn't cancerous only to have that tumor come back two years later with another surgery needed. During my younger years, I moved around a lot. I grew up in Kansas, moved to Omaha, eventually found my way to Cedar Rapids. By third grade, I was in my third grade school. I was the moving kid. Trying to fit in was not easy. Sports became my god and my outlet. Even though I was a three-sport athlete, a state champ, an undefeated athlete, a freshman on the varsity team, Christ would strip me of this comfort the day that I fractured my back. Consequently, my dream of playing basketball at the University of Notre Dame was also taken from me. By the time I had arrived at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, I had lived a very interesting life. My dear friends, have you ever seen a mountain, maybe even climbed one? Go there. Picture it for a moment. Allow the scenery to be a show for no one but you. Take in the presence of the absolute in the crisp mountain air. Notice the beauty of his architecture. Savor it. Take it in. It's for you. Do you believe it?
It's real. Yes, the climb may have been very difficult and painful, but you overcame it all to get where you are now. Six years ago, I heard of a story of a young woman who climbed her very own mountain and overcame her own pain and difficulties to experience the view from the top. But remember, my friends, one has to start at the bottom of the valley before they can begin the climb to the top. The valley in the story that I will share with you takes us back to 2009. It was a late spring evening in Lincoln, Nebraska, as the sun was setting over the dry cornfields. The door of the mother house closed behind this girl forever as she walked herself to her car, accompanied by no one. Thoughts raced through her mind as past conversations echoed in her ears. She recalled for a brief moment the first conversation that she had had with a sister in that community. A conversation that would shake her to her core and eventually drive her to withdraw from college to pursue a religious vocation. That young woman had moved to Lincoln after her junior year in college to begin life in a religious community. While her desire was to live and work among the sisters, she was sent to live in the basement of a host family 20 minutes away. That basement wasn't heated in the winters in Nebraska can be unforgiving. The long months in the basement caused her to question many things. Why was she any different from the other young women who were candidates for the same community? Why was she allowed to only visit the mother house on certain days of the week for certain periods of time? Still, she recalled those words from one of the sisters in that community. What would you say if I told you that you have a vocation and that you need to follow it? While many of the sisters, but not all of them, were encouraging her in her vocation, her own parents weren't convinced that she had a vocation. Did she have a vocation or did she not have a vocation? And why the mistreatment? She had given, given up so much. Her senior year, graduation with friends, dreams of a career in the medical field. For that young woman, the valley was deep and dark. There were differing opinions. Some were encouraging the vocation, others discouraging it, which only added to the mystery and confusion. Later that spring, it came time for that young woman to apply for postulancy. That meant that she had to pass the usual medical exams and psychological exams. If only she knew what lie ahead. As she met with the psychologist, she listened to him tell her, you remind me of the house that is built on sand. Once the rains and hardships come, your house will crumble. Your faith is not that strong. As she lay in bed that night, she wondered for the first time if she truly belonged in that religious community. Yet she felt as if she couldn't leave the place. She had nothing to go back to. She had already left college. 
However, as often is the case, God's plans are not our plans. It was a conversation that followed that revealed God's will to her a few days later. The vocation director had informed her that she was not going to be entering postulancy. The confusion and mystery continued. The valley was growing darker, not brighter. Tears filled the young woman's eyes as pain filled her heart. That was it. An entire year wasted. After a few moments, she collected herself and her few belongings and walked herself to her car, alone. The door of the mother house closing behind that young woman forever. All that remained were the wounds in her heart and the questions in her mind. Amidst the pain and confusion, there was one thing she was certain of. She would never pursue a religious vocation again. Ever. Now, what would you do, or what would you say, if I told you that the young woman in that story was me? Because it was. Yes, I had been rejected by one religious community already. My heart had been shattered. I didn't care to ever talk to a sister again. And I certainly didn't care to think about religious life again. After all of this, I enrolled again at Benedictine College to begin my senior year and finish what I had started four years earlier. That final year at Benedictine College was a difficult one for me. Life was different. My friends were gone and my heart was, st was still shattered. As graduation neared, I did not have a job lined up. What was Christ asking of me? How much more could my heart take? After a few weeks, my spiritual director asked me if I had ever thought about being a missionary in Belize. I immediately told him no, and then instructed him that I had no desire to embark on such an endeavor. He looked at me and said, Molly, I think you would love being a missionary. I think it would be good for you. I then was told to go back to my dorm and pray about it for a week. Oh, I prayed about it all right. But I found myself struggling to come up with reasons why I shouldn't go. The harder I tried, the fewer excuses I came up with. A week had gone by, and I found myself meeting with my spiritual director again. When he asked me what I had decided, I reluctantly admitted that I thought being a missionary was what Christ was asking of me. He looked at me and smiled and informed me that he would get me in contact with the priest on the mission soon. I knew that I had to tell my parents of the decision that I had just made. I wasn't quite sure how they would respond. The vision of the night that I told them has remained in my memory forever. I can still picture the stars above and feel the chill in the air. It was late in the evening. I dialed their number and my parents answered. I immediately shared the news with them. 
After all, there was relief knowing what the next year of my life held. Their response, however, was not a favorable one. The tears rolled down my face as I gazed out into the darkness. I felt like the little bit of my heart that was still left had been shattered and trampled. How could the pain be so intense? After they had finished yelling at me, I thanked them over the phone, told them good night, and that I loved them. And I made the lonely walk back to my dorm room. I cried myself to sleep that night for the first time since I was a little girl. I felt abandoned and orphaned. After graduation in 2011, I moved home to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. The hope was to become a missionary in Belize, but there was no money for the plane ticket. Once again, Christ seemed to have his hand on my life. After leaving an evening mass one night, I was pulled aside by the priest whom I had never met before. He wanted to know if I was a student at Benedictine College because of the shirt that I was wearing. I informed him that I had just graduated from there. He proceeded to ask me what my future plans were. I hung my head and ashamedly shared with him that I wanted to be a missionary. He looked at me with a smile on his face and said, that's great. I don't remember my response, but I do remember his. A few days later, I found myself meeting with him in his office. I shared with him the desire to be a missionary. However, the conversation seemed to take a different turn, and I found myself opening up and sharing what I had just been through. At the end of that conversation, he assured me that he would help me get to Belize. There was something about this priest that I couldn't figure out. Why had he reached out to me? What did he see in me that I did not see in myself? Was he going to give up on me like the other people in my life had? Or was he willing to climb the mountain with me? Perhaps even help me carry my load? Sure enough, he made good on his word. On the feast of St. Martha, the one who serves, and with the great help of that priest, I made my way to Belize as a missionary. Christ once again had placed his hand on my life. When I boarded my international flight to Central America, I had no idea who would be picking me up, or who I would be living with, or where I would be living, or what I would be doing. There was one thing I was certain of. Christ was waiting for me in Belize. So I had to go. It didn't take long for me to settle into mission life. Life was so real. The kids were tough. The living conditions were harsh. And the food was scarce. I soon found out that I would be teaching high school biology, coaching the girls' basketball team, and running the campus ministry office. My average class size would be 35 kids. There would be no textbook, no internet, no whiteboards, etc. 
It was me and 35 of them for a year. Keep in mind that these students are coming from Central American poverty and are very tough. In fact, the school is nicknamed the Miracle School. I think the real miracle is what took place in my own heart. After all, I had been turned away by a convent. I came home for Christmas at the end of my first semester. When I was home, I ended up meeting with that priest who had helped me so much. In one of our conversations in passing, he mentioned that he needed a youth minister. I definitely heard him mention it, but I never acknowledged the statement. We never went back to the topic, so I thought I was off the hook. But once again, Christ had his hand on me. During the end of that spring semester, each one of us missionaries had to discern whether or not they were staying for a second year. Earlier, I had received an email from that priest in Cedar Rapids. He informed me that he was needing a youth minister for his parish and wanted to know if I would serve in that manner. I thanked him for the email but told him no and that I would be spending a second year in the missions. He quickly informed me in a follow-up email that I had given him the wrong answer. (laughs) That's another true story. I thought to myself, who does this guy think he is? However, God seemed to have other plans for me. It was the night of Holy Thursday on that mission when I heard something that would shatter the silence. I had run up the dirt road to the convent to get some Tylenol for my headache. As I thanked the sister and put my hand to the door, she said, Molly. I turned around and looked at her. She continued, You have a vocation, and you have to go back to the States to discern it. That moment is still incredibly vivid in my mind. She had no idea I had just been in adoration with that question burning on my heart. After that comment, I walked back down that dirt road, crying. She had hit a nerve, a nerve I thought I had buried deep within. I had promised I would never think about religious life again. Was Christ inviting me to climb higher? A few days later, I emailed that priest about the youth ministry position. Yes, if you haven't figured it out by now, his name is Father Nienhaus. (laughs) I affectionately call him Padre, which is Spanish for father. I don't think he likes Spanish. Actually, he's told me that. (laughs) But he's never told me he doesn't like Padre, so. I told him I had decided to come back to the States after it all to build a youth program for him. While there was relief knowing the decision had been made, there was sadness knowing that I would be leaving what I loved so dearly. My people, their language, and their country. That was my home for so long. I had no idea that God would ask me to leave the mission in the manner that he did. 
I ended up having to leave a week early due to a change in my airline ticket. I said goodbye to my teammates and Father Mark. There simply wasn't time for anyone else. I walked out of my students' lives and have never returned. It tears my heart out. I wasn't there that last week of school to give them their final exam or to explain to them how much I love them. I had walked out of their lives, which is the exact same thing that their own parents did to them and what I had promised them that I would never do. None of that was in God's plan. After a long phone call with the airline company, my only option was to fly home the next morning. So flying out the next morning is what I did. I will never forget that last night on the mission. It remains etched in my memory forever. Father Mark came over to the women's house to say goodbye to me. As he and I stood on that dirt road underneath the tropical moonlight, he asked me one question. Molly, what have you learned from your year here? Immediately the tears flowed as the nerve was hit. I looked at his dark silhouette and through the tears said, Father, I learned how to love again. And he took me into his arms and followed that up by saying, Molly, I never let people see me cry. For so long over those past few months, I was that picture of sorrow and anguish. A tough, iron-willed girl holding in her sadness. But in an instant, and I would say in a moment of grace, he took me into his arms, and I rested my head on his chest. It was as if that greeting and that gesture gave me permission to let Christ have my tears. In that embrace, Christ had reached in and squeezed my heart. In the depths of my person, I was allowed to rest, to relax, and to let it all go. And I cried. Finally, my heart was beating again, and my soul breathing. In that moment, Christ had found a spot in my heart, and he had sat down for keeps. The goodbye tore my heart out. There has never been a day that has gone by where I have not thought about my students in Belize or the little village kids that I spent so much time with. Throughout that year in the missions, I had fallen in love with Christ. I had become lost in him without my becoming aware of it. He was teaching me how to love again, whether I was open to it or not. For the first time, I learned what mercy is. Sometimes it is said that a woman grows in love and virtue because she has built her life upon the ideals of the man she admires. Unknown to me, this man was Jesus Christ. Yes, the bride must resemble the beloved. After returning to the States, I began to build a youth program. 
After a few months of being back, a religious sister gave me a phone call. My best friend had joined that community a good four years before. This vocation director had heard that I was in the missions and wanted to hear how it went. As I explained the culture shock to her that I was experiencing in the year that I had just lived down there, she asked me if I wanted to come visit for some quiet time. I avoided answering her question. After all, I had been told by a few people that I would never make it in the convent or that I would get kicked out of the convent. More painful still was being told that my attitude was toxic and harmful. Who would ever desire me, I thought. But she found a way to ask me that same question again before we hung up. So I agreed to come for a visit. I eventually made it down there. And during that first visit to the convent in Alton, Illinois, I was given a tour of the mother house. I liked it, but I knew I was not going to be a sister. So I wasn't too moved by the emotions I was experiencing within. That is until we walked down a hallway that had two statues on the wall. One was Our Lady of Cuba. Right next to it stood a statue of Our Lady of Brazil. It stopped me in my tracks. I felt my heart being squeezed and I must have gone quiet. I couldn't believe it. Those exact same two Marian images had found me during my year in the missions. They're on a holy card that I had come across down there. I remember being in Belize and thinking they were so very beautiful. But having no connection with them or the country under their patronage, I quickly forgot about my encounters with them until that moment in the hallway. This religious community had missions in Cuba and Brazil. Our Lady seemed to be serious. There I was with a huge love for the missions and preparing to take a group to Brazil for World Youth Day. Christ was drawing me to himself. With each step, my view from the mountain got better and better. After I shared with the vocation director about why I was so quiet, she looked at me and said, Hmm, uh-huh. <laughs> I wanted to cry, actually. Over the course of the next three years, she kept in contact with me through phone calls and emails. And yes, occasionally she was even able to get me to visit the mother house. I promised myself I would never talk to a sister again, let alone step foot in another convent. Yet with each visit to the mother house, it was as if my story perfectly fit their charism, which was to make the merciful love of Christ visible. His mercy was following me. My story was hanging on their walls, and my heart was being pulled. Was Christ proposing to me? Was I falling in love? Yet even amidst those clear signs, I doubted whether or not Christ was calling me to that specific community. How was I so sure? The vocation director and I decided that I needed to visit a few other communities. However, every attempt to visit another community was coupled with a natural disaster. 
Another true story. <laughs> One of our nation's biggest ice storms had canceled my flight to the Nashville Dominicans. My visit to the LA Carmelites ended with a 5.3 magnitude earthquake. That was pretty scary. In the midst of that earthquake, I felt as if Christ was literally shaking me. I felt him ask me, why are you here and not in Alton? Christ was closing many doors to various religious communities, but the door to the martyrs in Alton remained open. I started dating that community in Alton, Illinois, more seriously and visited there more often. I remember clearly one moment in particular that struck a nerve in my heart. Before adoration one evening during my visit, the vocation director asked me, Molly, when are you going to surrender? Those words shattered the silence and I felt a tug. I drove home in tears that following day. It was that question that drove me to go before Christ in the Eucharist. As I sat in the adoration chapel here at St. Pat's, a question surfaced on my heart that I was very scared to ask. I could feel the tug to ask it. He was waiting. In fact, just a few days earlier, I had read the following words from Christ to St. Faustina in her diary. How long will you keep putting me off? And how long must I put up with you? So as I sat before him, I recalled my year in the missions and how I had been lost in him. I loved the simplicity of life and the poverty that went with it. I recalled how he had taught me how to love again. And I saw how he had sent his own mother after me through Our Lady of Cuba and Our Lady of Brazil. There was nothing left to do but ask, Lord, are you calling me to be a sister? My eyes immediately welled as I let him see what I was feeling within. He gave a resounding, yes. From that moment on, I knew he was asking me to follow him as his bride. With that next visit to the mother house, which just so happened to be Divine Mercy Sunday, I met with the mother superior of the community as well as the postulant director, novice director, and vocation director. I asked them if I could have the application to apply for entrance into their community. The mother superior replied with, of course. She followed that up by saying, don't you ever doubt for one moment that you have a vocation. You truly are a sister of St. Francis of the Martyr, St. George. At that moment in my journey, I had reached a point where I could no longer not say yes. It seemed like the natural next step in my discernment was to ask for the application. His mercy really does endure forever. Was he redeeming my first encounter with religious life so many years earlier? As I was working on my application, I was also preparing to leave for Spain to walk the Camino in June of 2014. In fact, the very reason why I was walking the Camino was in hopes of being accepted into this religious community. 
This Camino was a journey of a lifetime that I embarked on with a close friend of mine. And with every step along the Camino, I was walking closer to the desire of my heart that I yearned for so intensely. After all, I had been rejected by a convent once before and told to leave. Why would this be any different and why was I trying it again? So as I knelt before the relics of that son of thunder, St. James, I whispered into his ear the desire of my heart. He looked at me and said, believe it, it is real. I flew home the next morning knowing I had to finish my application and mail it to the mother house. I couldn't believe I had reached the point where I was holding an application to religious life in my hands again. Unknowingly, I ended up mailing the completed application on the Feast of St. Thomas, the one who doubts, as Christ invited me to have faith. Those weeks of waiting to hear whether I had been accepted or not seemed like years. It was the eve of the feast of that very son of thunder, St. James, when I received a phone call from the mother superior of the community. I had been accepted. The tears flowed. God had been working in my life and in the lives of those around me, including my parents and siblings. They were finally excited for me, and we were all on the same page. In fact, my parents had encountered these very sisters when they went to visit my sister in Kansas City. My little sister taught at the same high school that these, these sisters teach at. I remember the phone call from them in which they shared with me how they had just met the sisters and how much they loved them. And if that wasn't enough consolation, I was told by my mother superior that I would be entering religious life on September 8th, the Feast of Our Lady of Cuba. The lady I first encountered in Belize and the same woman I had stood on or stood before on my first visit to Alton, Illinois. It was not I who found her, but she who found me. I had finally reached the top of the mountain. For a brief moment, it was there at the top where I caught a glimpse of his design. There I found myself standing on what he had built. The wind blows where it wills. One hears the sound of it, but they know not where it comes from or where it goes. So too are those born of the Spirit. So as I took in the view from that mountaintop, I realized that life with Christ is a drama of finding and losing, of embracing and surrendering. We only figure out who we are by giving ourselves away. One can plan an event, but you cannot plan an encounter. And in the end, you become what you love. And who you love shapes what you become. I have found a German school teacher and a really cool sister who summarizes my feelings tonight. Sister Teresa Benedicta of the Cross says, and I quote, The deepest desire of a woman's heart is to surrender herself lovingly to another to be wholly his, and to possess him wholly. 
Only God can receive this complete surrender of a person and in such a way that she does not lose but gains her soul. I was finally his. Believe it. It is real. <laughs>